and welcome back to My Black Mental Health with your host, Ty Dyer. I'm a second year counselor and training at Florida International University. My Black Mental Health was created to be a resource and a tool to help the Black community learn and educate themselves on mental health concepts, psychology terms, and to spread awareness. If you're new, follow me on IG at My Black Mental Health PC and on Twitter at MBMHPC. Like the Facebook page for updates, tips, and extra resources. You can check out the podcast on Apple or Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, and Pocket Cast. I offer new episodes every other Saturday and bonus episodes on Thursday once a month. Join me today for our mental mini. Hello and welcome back to My Black Mental Health. I'm your host, Ty, and I'm excited about today's episode. I hope you all are ready for this episode because honestly, I'm about to shake the table. Okay? Now back to shaking the table. <laughs> we're continuing with what's the diagnosis segment, and today we're getting into substance-induced mood disorder and substance use disorder. Okay, guys, bear with me because I'm doing some changes. If you might notice, there is a little sound in the background, so I'm trying out a noise machine because in my house, it's there's a lot of noises and the AC kind of messes up some of my audio, so that's a change. But anyways, back to what I was saying. In my own community, I have noticed, um, not my own community, but I just want to say my circle, I've noticed substance use that kind of borderlines around... Um, enjoyment but could be seen as a disorder or excessive amount of use that could be a contributing factor to their mood and honestly I'm just here to call you guys out and I want to be one of those people that doesn't allow you to use these toxic influences to run or rule your life you don't want it to be one of those things that um, you didn't notice was gradually leading you down a path of destruction, you know? The purpose isn't for you guys to feel like I'm attacking you, but however, we need to have real conversations instead of just pushing things away and putting a band-aid on the situation as a solution. For some of us, alcohol and prescription um, medication, whether it is, you know, recreational use or you were prescribed the medication can be used as a band-aid. It's a temporary fix to a long-term issue. So, let's get into this. What is substance-induced mood disorder? Substance-induced mood disorder kind of just sounds like exactly what it is. It's a mental change that is produced by a substance or the withdrawal of that substance. And these effects kind of resemble an independent mental health illness, such as depression, psychosis, or anxiety. For the mental disorder to be considered a substance-induced, it has to be that the substance is what caused the disorder. It's not that you're already depressed, so you used a substance. That is what we would call substance use disorder. And in that sense, you are using the substance to cope with whatever problems you're dealing with. It refers to the patterns of the symptoms that result from, you know, you taking um, said substance regardless of experiencing problems such as overheating, depression, anxiety, um, heart racing, 
and hyper paranoia you experience these things and you're still adamant about using because of course they go hand in hand you feel depressed so you cope and you go and drink you have wine you tell yourself that it's worth it because you know it'll make you feel better but let's take a moment to think about it and let's evaluate it together is it just harmless or is it not according to the dsm-5 if you are experiencing the need to use more of the substance in either larger amounts or take it sooner than recommended if you are spending more time getting using or recovering from the symptoms of the substance if you're craving the urge to use the substance if you can't manage your work your home or your school because of the substance and you continue to use the substance even though it causes problems in either your relationship um it puts you in danger or it causes yourself to have physical or psychological problems that you're either present because of the substance or made worse by the substance then we might be on the track to having a substance use or induced mood disorder now, I keep using them interchangeably, but please refer to the definitions in the beginning to understand the difference. With the substances that you're using to be considered a diagnosis in substance-induced mood disorder, you kind of need to be using 11 of the different types of substances, which I'm honestly not sure why they didn't just say all substances because this list literally is alcohol, sedatives, anti-anxiety, caffeine, cannabis, hallucinogens, inhalants, um, opioids, tobacco use, literally stimulants. It's literally everything that you can consider a substance. If you're overusing any of those, we need to slow down and we need to recognize why we're overusing these things, or why are we using them in the first place, and how are they affecting our mind, our body, and our soul. And I say it in that way where it's affecting all three because we may not know it, but some of these substances really can be causing a mental health disorder. Like, some, it's common for some of them to include drugs that have temporary symptoms of like psychosis and that can give you those symptoms of anxiety, the heart racing, the palms sweating, the overheating, like you need to take note. Some of us do get hot when we're drinking alcohol, but if your body is overheating, you might have ingested way too much and that goes for different um, substances such as inhalants sedatives um, cannabis all of these things you just need to look and see how they are affecting you after doing it and for substance use disorder you need to look at the reasoning for you to go out and using this the substance so on the last episode guys we talked about depression and we talked about dual diagnoses basically being diagnosed with depression and something else. So today we're obviously, we're gonna talk a little bit about depression and being diagnosed with substance abuse, you know, disorder. We don't really talk about it often, but you know, according to the National Survey of Drug Use and Health, about nine million adults will experience a mental health illness along with a substance abuse disorder. We rarely call out our friends that need that six shots at the pregame but then the multiple shots at the event just to get lit or to have a fun time but we need to 
same way that we need to call out those family members that aren't social until alcohol or a substance is invited into their system. We allow ourselves and our loved ones to self-medicate because we don't recognize it as a coping mechanism. We say we do it in excessive because we're bored or, you know, we're just trying to have fun, but these amounts are unnecessary. And I just kind of want to take a little closer look about substance abuse in the black community. So, you know, you guys, I don't do any of these episodes without researching and I definitely I go through my own university's research articles, peer articles, you know, cited articles, and I, I find relevant information for us to look at and to discuss. So in the black community, as young as 13, it shows that they are more likely than our white counterparts to use substances as a coping mechanism. And it shows that we tend to use drinking to cope as we grow up from 13 through young adulthood, African Americans have exhibited stronger links for coping motives to alcohol use and drinking problems than our white counterparts. It's been theorized that African Americans may be more likely to drink to cope due to their elevated exposure to chronic stressors. I mean, black people are exposed to social disadvantages, racial stigmas, discrimination, unfair treatment, all across the board. I mean, just in the past two weeks, we've seen countless of black people lose their lives over this. So of course, to cope with it, when we see it either on the TV or it's one of our friends or our close family member that this is happening to, sometimes the only thing we know how to cope with is, hey, broski, come over, let's have a beer. Or sis, come on, let's just go to wind down. Like, you know you're feeling down, whatever. We use these as justification. African Americans are overrepresented in the drug abuser category in the United States, but we also are more likely to seek treatment for these drug addictions. I say we're overrepresented just because obviously when we're stopped and they search our car, a lot of the times they find something, we're going down for it. While our white counterparts, it's not always the same. Either they can get a slap on the wrist or if they do go to jail, the sentences are minimum and the ability to appeal is there. Like let's let's be real guys. We don't have the same opportunities. And when they are doing research, they tend to combine all of the black ethnicities together so we don't get represented kind of how our white counterparts do where they'll separate it between whites and Hispanics. We don't get the same justice. But I did find one research that did um, a study between black Americans and Caribbean blacks and I was able to find some numbers for you guys. So in a recent study, it found that the differences in the patterns of substance abuse and dependence between African Americans and Caribbean Blacks are slightly similar, but <laughs> rates of substance abuse are slightly higher for African American Blacks than are Caribbean Blacks at 11% for African Americans and 9% for Caribbean Blacks. The rate of substance use among um, African American American women is actually higher at 6.3 than Caribbean black women 
which is at 2.8 which honestly for this one i kind of see that as true like at least in my own family i can say that my mom drinks but she only drinks white rind and she only drinks white rum and it is only at family gatherings really not necessarily anywhere else however i do see more african-american black women in my circle or in my immediate community that find almost every opportunity to drink whether it is a brunch a wind down um family event or just a random day out the week that they popping up in a bottle of wine you know and i'm not here to judge trust me i fall under some of these categories and i'm not by any means saying that drinking on a normal level or an average level is a bad thing again we all drink well most of us do at least but anyways continuing on with some of these stats first generation caribbean blacks are slightly less likely than african americans to even have a substance use disorder which i also found a little interesting i would have thought it would have been similar i kind of want to take a look a little bit at the college age community because College alcoholism kind of affects millions of students every year. I found a study that stated over 400 African-American undergraduates were surveyed from an HBCU, and they were surveyed to measure just their global drinking motives, which is basically saying, like, what is the general reason of why they're drinking? Like, what motivates them to drink, right? So the study just kind of looked at when people drink, how much they drank, and it found that most people drink at night, and they found that most people drink to cope, to enhance, and for social reasons. So the students who reported higher means of episode-specific coping motives of drinking, on average, were drinking at night. And men consumed more alcohol in both the social and not social contexts. In contrast to women that reported they higher drinking um, to cope in non-social drinking settings, which kind of makes sense. Men like to go out with their, their boys and grab a beer and whatnot. That's usual social, but you know, they can also have a nice neat drink at home. Women tend to have their friends over in the comfort of their home. The conclusion of that study basically said that the drinking among African-American college students was related to these coping mechanisms. They were either coping for the fact that they were stressed in school or because of a negative effect that happened, which could have been a bad grade. In those times, the drinking rate was higher. And honestly, I really think it's important that college-age students are aware of their alcohol intake. And I know many colleges make students do that um, alcohol awareness course before you start. But I know a lot of people don't really take it as seriously as they should. But with most of schools being out and online, many of us are working from home. It's hard to decide if this day is going to be a productive one or if we're relaxing with a glass of wine or this neat drink, you know? How much is too much? Because let's be real, we're not always aware of our limits or sometimes we just kind of straight up ignore them just for the sake of the good time. And with that being said, I kind of want to do a little psychoeducation on your BAC, just to know what's too much, you know? 
So if you don't know, your BAC is your blood alcohol concentration level, and it just refers to the percent of alcohol that is in a person's bloodstream. The factors that determine your BAC are the number of standard drinks that you've had, the amount of time in which you consume those drinks, your body weight, your biological sex, which your gender, and the medications or if you've used or if you haven't, and the amount of food you ate. So for a little bit of a gauge, if you have a 0.4 to 0.6 blood alcohol level, it just means you're feeling relaxed. You feel the sensations of warmth and you might be a little bit impaired on your reasoning and your memory. Now, once you go from about a 0.7 to a 0.9, you are impaired. Your balance, your speech, vision, and control are all out of whack. And in the state of Florida, if you're over a 0.8, it's illegal. You can't drive, and that means you can't drive a car and you can't drive a bike. And I know for the most part, not a lot of us are driving those little mopeds and stuff like that, but that is excluded as well. I'm gonna post below um, knowing your limits, or not below, but on IG, I'm gonna post knowing your limits, one for men and one for women, just because it does depend on your weight. So your weight and you know different factors. So it'll have a little guide so you can kind of roughly know when you need to stop and how many drinks is too much for you specifically. Okay, so now you have all of those facts and all of that knowledge about substance use and substance-induced mood disorder. What does all of this mean and how do we look forward to treatment? I want our community to understand that among the individuals in need of substance abuse treatment, African Americans are more likely to receive the treatment at a specialty facility, which about 15% of us to the 9% of other ethnic groups do go ahead and you know receive those treatments. African Americans are more likely to recognize the fact that they need treatment and go ahead and seek it two to one. I looked into the Mental Health of America's toolkit on eliminating toxic influences in your life and I feel like it's definitely on trend for this episode. So some of the things that you want to look for is do they make you feel bad about yourself? These influences, whatever they are. I know this episode is talking about substance use but honestly these criteria could be looked at towards people places and things in your life that are toxic so do they make you feel bad about yourself and how do you know what factors do you look for stay with me i got you guys let me give you some fun facts though toxic friendships are more common than you think i mean according to this toolkit 84 percent of women and 75 percent of men reported having toxic friendships at some point in their life and about the average American, about 80% of us, has experienced some kind of emotional abuse. I want to focus on some things in order for, you know, treatment and helping you guys eliminate these, these influences, these toxic influences that that. So in the realm of substance use, the first step is de- detoxification. We have to detox. It is just the process, you know, of letting those toxic things out of your body. You remove those drugs and Honestly, with some of these drugs, you cannot withdraw on your own. Some substances required you to detox in a specialty facility so they can monitor you and make sure that it goes smoothly. Okay, and another thing to look into is the type of relationships and the friendships that you have around you. 
do you have enabling people around you looking closer at what an enabling person is it's basically just someone who makes it a little bit easier for you to continue abusing these substances despite you know the obvious damage that it is having on your life like people start to use drugs and abuse alcohol and they feel like it opens doors to different social environments so you're able to mix with different groups different circles and most of the time the people in these places are helping you drink these alcohol they're felicitating the use of these drugs so in looking at that you kind of got to look at the type of friendships and the type of people you have in your life so i wanted to pick out some of the things from the toolkit they said to look for in these people these places and these things so i'm just going to focus on like three things manipulation difficulty with anger and controlling behaviors See now, toxic people are often good at manipulation. They make it seem like they're here for you and your company, but in reality, they're around for the good time and the substance. They tend to push you to do things that you're unwilling to do on your own. They twist your words or they make you feel guilty. I say to evaluate the friends that you have to see if you're doing things out of pure fun or if they're telling you, you know, you need to do things in a comparative way. And let me give you an example. I like to use the brunch example so let's say the world opens up again and all the time when we were on quarantine you were tweeting and you were like frustrated about the fact that you couldn't go out and you can't wait to go out so you were in the group chat with your girls and basically they're trying to plan this brunch trip on whatever Sunday that's coming up that the world is open again and they're kind of pushing you to go to brunch you kind of know for yourself that you don't really want to go whatever your reasoning may be but they try to guilt you, they fish for you, they try to reel you in. And this is a small example of what that manipulation could look like that could lead to a toxic influence to causing you to overdrink. Now, it's important to know yourself and know what you are looking for. That's why I say, like, to know the difference between induced mood disorder, like substance-induced mood disorder, and substance use disorder. Because the difference is basically you going out and doing this substance knowing that it's going to cause you x y and z disorder that you didn't have before or but because you have this disorder or these symptoms of the disorder sadness and whatnot from being in cabin fever and all of this quarantine and you're going out there to use these substances to make you feel better about yourself those are the differences now moving on to the difficulty with anger sometimes we have friends that it feels like you're walking on eggshells with them all the time or you're in a place of business and you feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time this could be with your employer and it's hard to handle them because any little thing can trigger them can cause rage hurtful things being said or puts you either on suspension or in trouble with you know your higher ups in a sense sometimes the person if you have a personal relationship with them, can apologize. They make it seem like they're sincere, but honestly, it's really toxic and you've noticed the pattern. With this being said, this kind of moves into the controlling. Those behaviors that they either control your finances, the people, they limit your resources. And with that being said, it kind of moves me into foreshadowing for my next episode. I'm going to I'm going to finish the cabin fever series on abuse and unprecedented times just because I feel that we are all kind of living in 
a space where we don't know what the world is gonna be like we don't know what this new normal is gonna be like and it came across me my it came across my attention the other day that some of us are living in areas where we may be in danger and I just want to have that conversation too because again we are shaking the table from now on real conversations about things that are happening to us and not being ashamed that they're happening to us but getting the help that we need because we can only help us if the last two weeks haven't shown you guys just in the news and I don't necessarily want to bring up names and re-traumatize people here but if you're up to date on the news you know only we can help us so in doing that this is what this is for my realm is mental health and I'm, I'm here to help us so with that being said you know what to do I hope you found this mental mini to be informative and helpful just remember that I am a guide to mental health and wellness, but not a replacement for seeking out professional help. Follow me on IG at my Black Mental Health PC and on Twitter at MBMHPC for the latest. Send me a DM or a message to let me know what you've learned and what you'd like to learn next. The more you know, the better you feel and heal. Cheers to happy healing.